Welcome to our last Tuesday of the month book discussion. Just a couple of librarians talking about books we think others might enjoy. November's read is Signs Preceding the End of the World by Yuri Herrera and translated by Lisa Dillman. Spoiler alert, we usually end up discussing endings and key plot points. <laughs> I'm Amy <laughs> and joining me today is Sue, Reader's Advisory and Collection Strategies Manager at Marion Public Library. Welcome. Hey, everybody. <laughs> thanks for having me on today. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So Reader's Advisory and Collection Strategies, that's the first title I've heard like that. What do you yeah. do in your day to day? It's kind of a mouthful, but really what I do is I select all the materials for our library catalog, try and grow our collection. And right now, of course, in anticipation of our new library, I'm working on refreshing our collection and having everything ready to go. So lots going on at the library right now, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's overwhelming and have been for a while now, but it's great to have you join us today. So we're going to jump in with a short summary for folks who may not have read it. This is a novella about Makina crossing the Mexico-U.S. border looking for her brother, who crossed a few years previously in search of literal promised land. And after relentless pursuit, Makina ultimately finds her brother, but doesn't deliver the message from their mother, Cora, which was the reason she came, which was an interesting little twist at the end. That was um, a really interesting twist. <laughs> right? Well, and you kind of get why she might have done that, because in the lead up to all of what's happening, even starting from the beginning, she gives examples of people who have come back to their hometown after being in the United States for a while and like kind of how there's a disconnect there. Very much so. I found that very interesting that because I was thinking of it when people are sent back after they've lived here for a while. I mean, they really are going back. It's their home country, but they haven't lived there for so long that it is a totally strange country for them. And home is not home <laughs> anymore. It's a completely different place. And to be in that kind of a situation, I can't even imagine how you would work to begin feeling like you fit in and that it is your home again. Yeah, because our cultural connections change, your mm -hmm. community connections, how you live and survive day to day to be yes. totally ripped from that without any preparation, even if there is preparation. That's still right. hard transition. Like, and again, it's like reiterated in the telling of how language is used in the book, mm -hmm. even as it is a translation, but even how she notices the way that people who were either born in the United States and have never you know, lived in Mexico before or people who have been in the United States a long time and are kind of more culturally adjusting still to the United States, how they use language and yes. Spanish is very different. Yes, there's like three different kinds of languages. There's the homegrown people and then there are the people who've been there for a while and they kind of use a little of both. And then there are the people who are just coming over who are speaking the original language and how it's kind of this slow almost like insidious kind of a thing where you slowly are changing over and you don't even realize it the longer you're in the United States. I found it really interesting that 
And they don't say that it's the United States, but of course, we're all going to assume that's what it is. But I really found it interesting how it really wasn't going over, was not really something that everyone aspired to and wanted to do. It kind of had this darkness about it that was really interesting to me that it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to go, but I'm coming right back. I promise I'm coming right back. And even when she talks about, you know, what she packed to take over, you know, the party shirt and, you know, a couple pairs of underwear because, you know, so she's got enough, but not too much because she's coming right back. I mean, she was so worried about not coming back because so many people did not come back, like her brother didn't come back. So it was really interesting to see the other side of the border and how the feeling that it gave me reading the book was very much like a dread of going <laughs> on the journey. Yes. <laughs> well, even just like, yeah, the whole thing. I mean, when I first started reading it, like the opening even made me feel like, oh, is this going to be a little like horror-esque in here too? Like there was right. just some scary stuff happening. And with the pit that opens up underneath her in this opening scene. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's a lot of very scary pieces. I mean, she's managing to work her way through with the help of like these gangsters, essentially. Horrible horrible criminals. Yes. (laughs) And (laughs) like, she doesn't seem at all really phased by it. Mm -hmm. And she just has this way of like, easily navigating between these worlds and she seems almost like a door in and of herself like because she is passing through so many places yeah Mm -hmm. i found her interactions with the three gangsters was really interesting and i know the first one i think was mr w and he had done a favor for cora her mother so he owed her But I'm guessing that she's probably like in her early 20s. They don't ever really say. And I guess it's up to you to kind of figure that out. But I kind of felt like she had some wisdom to her, was still fairly young. But her interactions with the three gangsters, I found interesting because she was respectful, but at the same time was ready to push and kind of knew how much she could push before she was in horrible danger. (laughs) And I think the way she acted with them kind of gave them some respect for her as well. It's like, okay, you know, we're going to help you mostly because of her mother, but also I think she'd helped Mr. Q at one point with something. But yeah, I was like, oh my God, if it was me, I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd be panicking and I wouldn't be so nonchalant about going in and saying, I need your help to cross the border. And I thought it was really interesting how she's just like, I have to go find my brother and give him a note from my mom that people are like, okay, yeah. I mean, it was not seen as strange or weird. It was just like, well, of course you are. It was a very interesting setup to the whole story. And I felt like it was almost kind of like a dream-like quality to it. Mm -hmm. And I think that was because there was no dialogue. It was all just kind of talking without dialogue. And that kind of lent it for me to kind of this almost dreamlike, surreal kind of state through the whole book. I don't know if if you've got that too, but it kind of kept me slightly on edge and slightly uneasy the whole time. (laughs) That's exactly how I felt. (laughs) Very much dreamlike and stream of consciousness-esque, but I thought that there were parts where I was able to kind of sink into the story a little, but then I would immediately almost like within the next section be pulled out of it with something that was like, oh, okay. (laughs) 
that's happening yes. now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there were moments of realism, <laughs> real realism, you know, like with the kid on the bus and you're yes. kind of like, okay, she's going. And then all of a sudden, boom, that happens with the kid. And then you're kind of like, oh, I guess I kept reminding me of how much danger she was in as this young girl by herself with, you know, a little bag of stuff and drugs yeah. that she was just, you know, wandering around and she never really questioned. She just knew that she had to find her brother and she just kept going and going and she never seemed to lack courage at all. Mm-hmm. You know, she was on a quest for sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very determined. And I think headstrong, which w- was highly in her favor yes. for this, it seemed like. There was a moment as they're crossing the river with Chucho. Well, first of all, he like recognizes her from a photo and then somehow waves her down at night and like all these yeah, really across the river. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're going across and she nearly drowns. And mm-hmm. there's just this moment where she like stops struggling and essentially says, like, I'll get wherever I need to be. And I was like, right. Oh, that's terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. That she just kind of let go and whatever happens, happens. And then they were across. And I was like, what the heck just happened? (laughs) And I feel like that kind of happens to her a couple times, right? Because she, Mm -hmm. where she just kind of lets go. And I don't know how purposeful that is in her character, but it seems like, you know, she doggedly, relentlessly going after her goal but then like doesn't also doesn't seem to like push against fate almost which is interesting and I think that speaks to her I keep going back to I feel like she was on a quest she was on this journey and part of it was up to her to get there but also part of it was her recognizing that it was kind of bigger than her and she had to trust that she would get to where she needed to be. And she had to be able to let go of expecting only herself to get her there. To me, that kind of ties into the whole mythology of it, like the different stages that she was going through and the people that were helping her along the way. I mean, every time the cops showed up, I was terrified. (laughs) I was like, oh, here we go again. What's going to happen now? But I was really amazed with her poise for sure. I will just say one other specific instance that I just have to talk about is the ending scene where she's left in this, I don't know what kind of place, but basically like a lounge with a bunch of people smoking and it's underground. And I'm just like, you fell into the sinkhole is what I was thinking. And I was like, wait a minute. And I read it like two or three times. Like, where is she? Is she going to be part of a sex slave thing? I mean, that was my first thought was, oh my God they got her mm-hmm. and she's never going to go home now because now she's going to be part of this trade. But then I was like, did she die? You know, is she in some kind of weird tunnel that's going to get her closer to the border? The author must leave it up to your interpretation. I can't figure out what happened to her at the end. I really yeah. can't. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was my initial thought was that she like fell, hit her head. This was like a dream state or something yes. that was happening. But I was also just thinking about how she's given passport and a new name. So maybe this is actually like happening and she's now expected to stay in the United States and kind of trapped 
in a whole new life that isn't hers. That she doesn't want. Right. I couldn't figure out. I thought, well, okay, if it's a sex trade thing, they're not going to give her a new passport. So I was like, what is going on? What was the agreement made that I missed (laughs) where she was going to go over and never come back? I mean, was this the final thing that I think Mr. Q was going to take care of and make sure that she was taken care of there? Did they all think that she was just going to go over and not come back because she needed help staying over there? That was not her plan. So (laughs) I almost felt like she kind of gave up like, okay, well, this is where I'm going to be. Yeah. (laughs) Again, just kind of like tossing her hands to fate. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess we'll have to talk about her brother too, because that was really strange. Yeah, because her brother is also stuck, right? Yes. <laughs> In the He's same way really that she is. Stuck. Yeah. Yes. So the brother, she finally finds him. And the crazy story is that this woman had taken him in to her home and she had a son who had signed up for the army. And this son was going to end up going overseas to a war. And the family was terrified he was going to be killed. So they said, we'll pay you a whole lot of money if you take our son's place in the army and you'll go over and fight. And then when you come back, we'll give you a whole bunch of money. And he's like, well, I got nothing to lose. Right. What was he going to do? So he does. And he actually takes the son's place in the army has all of the answers memorized. So the army's like, sure, you are that person goes over, fights a war, comes back completely unharmed. The people don't think he's going to come back. They think he's going to get killed over there. So then he comes back and they're like, uh-oh, we don't have any money for you because we thought you were going to die over there. We don't know what to do with you. And then these people just say, well, we're just going to sell everything and just move to another country and change our names. I was like, what? Oh, my gosh. And he's like, well, I guess I'll just stay here in the army and figure out what I'm going to do. And now he's got this whole identity that has given him this incredible freedom, but he's horribly trapped. And he's never going to go back home. Never. He doesn't want to. Yeah. And when his sister finds him, he's just kind of like, oh, man. (laughs) I don't think he's really too happy to see her. Yeah. Because she's a reminder of home. And she's a reminder that his family has not forgotten about him. And they're still waiting for him to come home, which was kind of interesting. But I thought that was just a really weird twist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. (laughs) and the note from the mom that was just like it's okay you can come home now oh that was kind of heartbreaking right (laughs) we don't expect anything from you please just come home (laughs) yeah just come home it'll be okay oh man yeah for a novella it really packs a wallop because it's just full of these really odd little happenings and then this really big happening towards Mm -hmm. the end And I couldn't figure out part of it that lent itself to the dreamlike quality was the kind of sense of timelessness going on where she just seems like she's walking and she's walking and she's always just walking and everything looks the same. I mean, it was very purposeful that there wasn't anything unique about the place she was in. It was just full of a lot of loud people. All the buildings looked the same. The weather was the same, hot during the day, cold at night. There were mountains and she just walked everywhere. You know, there was nothing unique about it. So all of that kind of made me as a reader feel a little off all the time. And I think that was purposeful, but it was a really interesting way to make the reader feel through the whole 
novella. So at first I'm reading it and I'm like, oh, I don't know. What's this book going to be about? And by the end, I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) I mean, I thought about it all night last night and thinking about this book. This is so interesting and quite different from what I normally read. So I don't know. I'm glad I get to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It definitely felt very, like you said, disorienting in a way that was purposeful because of course she's disoriented. She's in a whole different, like this is very confusing, but also just kind of to replicate that within us as readers. And it felt just very like almost Matrix-like or Alice in Wonderland Those were kind of the two things I kept thinking about as I was Mm -hmm. reading this. And yeah, just kind of the endless drudgery of walking through. And you know, she must have been suffering, but there's no like, she's just like, I slept on a park bench or I slept in the telephone booth or wherever it was. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I finally got to take a shower. Yeah. You You know what it kind of reminded me of? It reminded me of Gods of Shadow and Jade or Jade and Shadow. It kind of reminded me that mythological novel, which was fabulous. It kind of reminded me a little bit of that in that it seemed like just this endless journey through this strange landscape. And you just didn't quite know what was coming up next. Yeah. And it had kind of that timeless quality to it that reminded me of that very much so. But yeah, the more I talk about it, the more I like the book. (laughs) Yeah, it's one you got to sit with. (laughs) Yes, yeah, definitely got to sit with it. And yes, timeless. I like the way you said that because I think it also is timeless in the journey itself, right? People have been doing Mm -hmm. these types of journeys across countries, across nations, across borders for forever. And I think that that is also kind of captured in this, in that there are times where she sees evidence of other people who have been crossing, like when she finds the dead body in the middle of the desert. That was pretty gruesome and very, very sad. Yeah, it's kind of nasty. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Another little bit nightmarish to add to the dream Mm -hmm. realm that we feel like we're in. And did you happen to get to read? So at the end of this book, there is Mm -hmm. the translator's note. For readers, I would highly recommend that everybody read the translator's note because I really enjoyed it. I did too. And it's interesting how much work goes into even preparing themselves to translate that the thought process and the research that goes into, you know, how am I going to approach this and how do I want to make sure that I'm not losing the sense of what the author wants to communicate. I thought that was really fascinating about her, Lisa Dillman, that what I thought was really interesting when she talks about trying to create an English that was not geographical. So it didn't have any oops or anything like that, you know, that would make you go, oh, I know where they're at. Just deliberately kind of keeping it English without any kind of geographical inflections or words so that it would kind of keep you in that, I'm not quite sure where I'm at. Mm -hmm. I know I'm in a place where there's English, but I don't know where I'm at. All of those things I thought was really interesting that she took so much time to research before she started to translate. Really interesting. Mm -hmm. And the use of colloquialisms, both in Spanish and English, and how those were, again, still non-geographic, but still like an English short that we would Mm -hmm. recognize. And, you know, she talks about leaving reminders for readers that, you know, this is translated and 
how purposeful that was. Specifically, I loved her explanation of her word choice of verse. So that was super helpful for me because the very first time I came across it, I was like, okay, there's definitely a specific reason this was used, (laughs) but I don't know what it is yet. Yeah. (laughs) But as she continued to use it and it came up. I thought that was really clever. And it was kind of this anchor I could latch on to. As it would come up, I'm like, oh, there's that word. I know what this means. I know what's going on. It kind of was a, a moment of coming up out of the, the dream and going, okay, and then going back down again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I really appreciated that and learning a bit more about like all the work that goes into translating. Because I don't read very many translated materials. So this is one of only a handful probably I've read mm-hmm. recently. So it was really Actually, cool. I think this would make a, a really good book club book. Really yes. good discussion. I mean, we've been talking for what, almost a half an hour now <laughs> on a, a book that's maybe a hundred pages, but there's a lot in those hundred pages. <laughs> there's a lot of layers and a lot of picking apart for sure. Oh my gosh. And okay. One other thing that I just have to talk about before we sign off the poem that she whips out of her hat and writes down for the police officer towards the end. Mm -hmm. Total shock and awe. And I just loved it. It was kind of like punching him in the face without punching him in the face. (laughs) Right. And how, you know, she says that he started off reading it out mockingly. And then as he kept reading it out loud, he kind of started getting quieter and quieter until the end where he was just barely whispering. And he kind Mm -hmm. of realized, oh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah in front of walk away (laughs) yeah yeah and in front of this line of people who he's Mm -hmm. bullying and badgering like i just really really, enjoyed that that. Mm -hmm. yeah just gave you an additional like insight into who she is and Mm kind of drives that home and it was kind of that last little you know we know what you think we are and we know what you think we're doing and that's not who we are we are people and we're here to try and make a good life and we're going to do all these things to try and do that it made them look human to him and it shamed him it really did it shamed him i was like there you go girl (laughs) yes last bit of grit from her i think yes for sure That is a perfect word for her. And then she just walks away and like we're left with this image of the people who were lined up in this row taking this verbal beating almost from this officer. And they look and they couldn't say anything to her because she started walking again. And all they could make out was her silhouette against the sun. And I really wanted that to just be like the end. And then she goes across to like... Yes. She goes back home, but of course that wasn't that wasn't the end. <sighs> right. <laughs> I know I was kind of like, okay. I'm like, oh no, there's more. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me, Sue. I'm sure. really glad we got a chance to talk about this. And thank our audience for joining us. And if you enjoyed yes. Signs Preceding the End of the World and are looking for more books to add to your reading list, I recommend Infinite Country by Patricia Ingle. I think that it also has a take on some of the themes and things discussed in this book. So although it does have a very different tone. And the translator also mentions Cormac McCarthy's The Road as being another one that she kind of used in her research before she started translating this. So 
that's kind of an apocalyptic type book as well. So that might be something to look into. Yes, great point. Mm -hmm. And I'll be back in December with Jillian from Waterloo Public Library to discuss The Pull of the Stars by Emily Donahue. And we hope everybody will join us again. Thanks. Bye, everybody.